PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs episode. My name is Blake Briggs, co-founder, co-host of EM Board Bombs. For each 15 to 20 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge, as we like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates, episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes to test your knowledge on topics by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. That is emboardbombs.com. Remember, everything is 100% free, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at emboardbombs. Today, it's just me. All by my lonesome. Dr. Hussein has actually uh, did a split-second, last-minute travel plan. He um, doesn't ever buy olive oil from the, the supermarket or grocery store. He, uh, he, he prefers to actually go to Italy on his private plane, and he will actually pick up. He'll pick out the olive tree sapling years ahead of time. It, they'll you know grow it for him and nurture it and everything, and then he'll go back and actually bottle the olive oil himself. Um, he actually taste tests it as well, and they bottle it for him, then he flies back with it. So he's doing that today. I didn't know ahead of time. I thought his schedule was cleared, but that's what he's doing. So it's just me today to talk about a pretty cool topic, pretty rare topic, but let's go ahead and uh, hit it pretty hard here. So you are evaluating a 55-year-old male who arrives to the ED with severe chest pain. He is coming from a local jazz concert where he is the lead saxophone player in the jazz rendition of Eminem's latest album. He states to prep for the sessions, he drank about three pints of Guinness. So EMS reports at the scene his, quote, arms were heavy, vomit on a sweater already, but it wasn't mom's spaghetti. Bottles on arrival, his temperature is 100, his heart rate's 120, and his blood pressure is 85 over 64, and his respiratory rate is 25. On exam, there is crepitus on auscultation. Hmm... Hmm. Which of the following is true? Choice A, most cases of this pathology occur in normal esophaguses. Choice B, surgery is always indicated in this pathology. Choice C, radiographs are usually diagnostic. Choice D, the most common radiograph finding is mediastinal widening. The correct answer is... Choice A, most cases occur in normal esophaguses, or esophagi, if you're Greek, or esophaguses, if you're Romanian. So we're talking about Borhave syndrome today. This is a spontaneous, full-thickness rupture of the esophagus due to a sudden rise in intraesophageal pressure. The big thing about this disease is I feel like everyone knows it. Uh, it's really interesting. This is the one which, if you mention chest pain and esophagus in emergency department, I don't know why, but every single person knows this disease. I don't know where it's hammered in medical school. Maybe there's just nothing like it. You know, the name Borhave or Bohave, if you're Canadian. That is just one of those diseases that just everybody knows. Um, quick trivia point, because I'm all about these. Herman Borhave, what a guy. He was a professor of medicine, and he published this entry case report back in like the 1700s called History of a Grievous Disease Not Previously Described. <laughs> so he was humble. He didn't name it after himself. He just named it a grievously ill disease not previously described. 
And basically, he was discussing some case of this guy named Baron Han von Wassener. I butchered that name. He was a Holland admiral, and apparently he stuffed himself in a feast. And then he vomited, and he suffered some type of like left-sided chest pain, he reported. Then afterward, he um, had, like I don't know, findings on his left chest of crepitus, things like that. And then he died like 24 hours later. Um, and so that's what this case he was describing is. And he didn't name it after himself. We've named it after him. Um, good guy, Herman. Very humble. Humble Herman. So it's a rare disease. It's, it's like three in one million. It's more rare than aortic dissection. It's so funny that it's so rare, but we talk about it all the time. It's just insane to me. But it, the most common cause is going to be iatrogenic, actually. So we don't talk about it often, but the most common cause is actually due to GI procedures. So endoscopy as a uh, whoopsie mistake usually happens more in July than June. If you're a resident, you understand that reference. But in general, <laughs> the most common issue is going to be post-endoscopy. However, the classic board stem, and the one that most doctors know, is going to be this straining effort such as, you know, vomiting and retching, and then you have this high sudden rise in intraesophageal pressure and then rupture. That's going to be the classic board question. I, I doubt they're going to give you the post-endoscopy uh, complication. A little too easy, uh, you know, but that's going to be the most common cause overall. So just remember the location of the rupture is going to be the distal esophagus, so that's the left posterior wall of the distal esophagus. I hate that that's testable, but it is, and I've seen test questions ask where this happens, you know, proximal or distal, posterior, anterior, posterior, left, distal esophagus. And what happens is during this rupture, there is a uh, rupture in the esophagus, and then it leads to this, like, streaming of like a waterfall of death of intraesophageal contents into the mediastinum. So you have like chemical mediastinitis, mediastinal emphysema because of the air coming out from the esophagus, and then of course inflammation that settles in. You have bacteria in the esophagus, so you have secondary infection, and then rapid sepsis. Rapid. Remember, you're like right in the center of the chest. I actually like to think of these bacteria as like a scene from The Shining. <laughs> Here's Johnny! And they break through the wall of the esophagus and they just enter this whole new area, uh, like breaking through the door, uh, and they just lead to just rapid sepsis. Uh, the other concerning thing is that can also cause pleural fusions. A little bit less common, but that's the classic, you know, x-ray finding, right? The history is usually going to be a male, middle-aged, and they're going to be an alcoholic, especially if they're going down this whole vomiting scheme. Either you had some recent really bad GI illness in their vomiting or vomiting because of just heavy drinking. The history when they present is going to be excruciating, tearing chest pain radiating to the back. Sounds like an aortic dissection. However, the history is going to be completely different, right? They're not going to come in with the aortic dissection symptoms on a test question at least. Remember that aortic dissection is a sneaky, sneaky diagnosis. This is usually come in with some history in the question stem. Has to be vomiting, right? Or, you know, post-endoscopy. And nearly one-third, though, in real life have no vomiting history. Whoa, that's going to be hard. So remember that the most common symptom on a test question is chest pain radiating to the back. Vomiting is not the most common symptom. And only like one-third of patients can have no vomiting history. That's pretty crazy to me. The physical exam, uh, classically, you're going to have, within a few hours, you know, surge response, basically. You know, systemic inflammatory response. You're going to have hypotension. Um, fever, tachycardia, high respiratory rate um, due to the mediastinitis, and then possibly, you know, the pleural fusion, usually in the left side. 
Hammond's sign, or Hammond's Crunch as we call it, which is uh, the new Board Bombs brand of cereal that we're going to come out with, Hammond's Crunch. Great way to start the day. The tasty cereal grain everyone should have at breakfast. A delicious power breakfast. It's going to outcompete Captain Crunch by a landslide, I assume. Hammond's Crunch is going to be found in... It sounds like such a great cereal. I would totally try it. I don't know what we would shape the cereal like. You know, uh, it could be like all berries. Oops, all berries, Captain Crunch. But it needs to be Hammond's Crunch. Uh, I'm not sure how we would do it. You need to send in some requests here. Uh, drop us an app or review and, or send us an email what you think the cereal should look like for Hammond's Crunch. You'll get a share of the profits. It'll be publicly owned. Anyway, so Hammond's sign is this classic crepitus on auscultation. So if you're listening to the chest, you hear basically crepitus in the chest, a subcutaneous emphysema or a mediastinal emphysema you can hear. Um, not that common. It's pretty rare, but it's pathognomonic with this disease. Labs, guess what? Well, you could get a leukocytosis. They suck, as usual. Uh, more and more, as I enter my career, I've discovered how sucky labs are. Um, you can email me if you want to learn more about that. But in general, like many other conditions that we learn about for the boards or classically uh, surgical conditions, in the acute phase in the emergency department, these labs are just not helpful at all. So radiographs, you know, x-rays of the chest, A&P, or cervical A&P, these are often not diagnostic. That's why choice C was wrong. Uh, they're often false negative because it's so early on in the disease process, and they're often nonspecific. Like, they can easily miss the fact that there's a rupture, but there's not that much air, so you're not going to see that mediastinal emphysema. You're not going to see mediastinal air tracking there in the center of the x-ray. And so it's usually not diagnostic. The, the diagnostic test of choice, especially for the boards, is going to be a water-soluble contrast esophagram. That's using gastrographin. That's the water-soluble contrast instead of barium. We learned this in med school. Everybody knows this. The problem is, in real life, that may not be the case. Think about in the emergency department. You would honestly think, oh, why don't I just do a CT chest? That's not the wrong answer. Uh, a CT chest um, is often historically done after the esophagram because if a perforation is difficult to locate or diagnose on a contrast esophagram, the CT chest is more sensitive than the esophagram for detecting extravasated air in the soft tissues. It, does, it doesn't really localize the site of the perforation as well as the esophagram, but the CT chest is a fantastic test in the ED to screen with, not x-rays. So on the board test, let's let's summarize here. In real life, if a patient comes in, you're worried about Borhaves, you know, obviously get CT chest first. Or in the ED, you can get that within five minutes, you know, on a critically ill patient fast after you stabilize them to some degree. You're not going to get an esophagram on that type of patient, right? They have to go up to a GI suite or something, go somewhere to do that. That's going to be after you get the CT chest and you've talked to CT surgery, which I'm skipping ahead here. So just keep that in mind. That's not, that's, you know, the wrong order here. But on the test question, they're going to ask you, hey, what's the most accurate test you can do to diagnose, a, you know, Borhaves syndrome? And that's going to be the water-soluble esophagram. And then, you know, what's the probably the initial test that you're going to get after x-rays, which is a CT chest. That's the fastest test to get in the ED. I doubt they're going to ask something that specific. They're just going to ask, what's the diagnostic test of choice? And the answer is going to be an esophagram because that's technically still the standard test that they want. What's the treatment here? Well, obviously, you want to make these patients NPO. <laughs> so these patients are going to be uh, laughing because that's literally in the guidelines uh, in case you forget that these patients should be NPO. Um, they need IV fluids, rapid rehydration. Um, and then the antibiotic of choice here, right, is going to be Zosin, which is a great choice. Covers uh, some awesome gram-positive, gram-negative, and a few anaerobes too. You're going to have given the IV PPI to reduce that stomach acid reflux through the perforation. 
and then you're going to call CT surgery. That's probably the first step, actually, calling CT surgery first. And, you know, honestly, as why choice B is wrong, saying surgery is always indicated, actually there's, you know, a, a, and I've had these patients, um, that they have medical therapy. Uh, these are patients with minimal symptoms. They have a contained leak, as they call it. It's just a small leak in the medium, just a small hole in the esophagus, just tiny, not that big of a deal, right? NBD, no sepsis signs, and, uh, you know, they have a, you're at a referral center with surgery admitting this patient, right? Uh, those patients are medical. There's absolutely no way you're going to get tested on that on your boards as an EM physician, Um absolutely not going to be tested on that. The question is always call CT surgery and they can do whatever they want, decide on what they think. It's up to their dispo. The prognosis of these patients is actually pretty poor. This is an amazingly high mortality disease. Um, it's universally fatal if not treated within like two or three days. Even with treatment, mortality rates go up to like 40, 40%. It just blows my mind how awful this thing is. Uh, thankfully, it's so rare. We don't have to worry about it. All right, so I think that's about it. Let's go ahead and summarize these answers here. So choice A was correct, saying most cases occur in normal esophaguses. That's 100% correct. Usually, you know, there is an increased risk with a diseased esophagus, right? Like eosinophilic esophagitis and that kind of thing. Those people have an increased risk of Borhaves uh, if they have vomiting episodes. But in general, the vast majority of these patients have a normal esophagus. Uh, choice B, surgery is always indicated. That's not true. There's a, a very small subsect of patients that can be medically treated and observed if they have a contained leak. Choice C, radiographs are usually diagnostic, not true at all. There's sometimes very unique findings on board exams they'll throw at you, but in real life, x-rays suck. Standard x-rays are not that good. Labs are sucky too. They don't help, like with most conditions, I feel like, in the ED. Choice D, the most common radiograph finding is mediastinal widening. That's not true. The most common radiograph finding is nonspecific nothing. It doesn't show anything. It's normal. Remember that it occurs in the left posterior wall of the distal esophagus. Remember that sepsis happens very quickly. You should start antibiotics on these people. Most common presenting symptom is chest pain. Vomiting is absent in one-third of patients. Hammond's sign or Hammond's crunch is a new cereal that's coming out. It's also a physical exam finding that's rare but pathognomonic. And SIRS criteria is usually present within probably a few hours of presentation. Remember that the diagnostic, you know, the most accurate test you want to get on the test is going to be a water-soluble contrast esophagram. And that's another board bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at EMBoardBombs. You can also find us on Instagram at EMBoardBombs. Please drop us an app or review. These reviews really help us. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. We've gotten quite a few helpful reviews that have given us suggestions, which we promise it is on our list to cover. So if you've suggested something and you're disappointed we haven't covered it yet, we are trying to go rapid-fire mode for board season. We promise we will hit it soon if there's a particular topic you want let us know in the review or shoot us an email remember just like harrison ford in air force one who doesn't negotiate with terrorists get off my plane we don't negotiate with boards it's all or nothing come join us help us conquer boards together see you next time for more action